1: Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host Michelle Brown. Each week we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today I'm joined by Pearl Noir. Pearl is the epitome of elegance and grace. Named one of the top performers in the world, she is truly a goddess. Pearl began singing, dancing, and acting as a child when she landed a McDonald's commercial and a role on the Cosby Show. In 2008, she burst onto the burlesque scene, winning the Best Debut category during the annual Burlesque Hall of Fame weekend in Las Vegas. She's been named one of the world's top five burlesque performers by 21st Century Burlesque Magazine three years in a row. After spending several years as a cast member in Dita Von Teese's popular Stripster Parade, Pearl went on to complete a stint in Velvet, a musical starring Australian disco diva and superstar Marcia Hines. She's performed her signature blend of sultry, athletic, and captivating dance in numerous venues throughout the world including the Crown Casino in Melbourne, the Waltz in Tokyo, Teatro Circo in Madrid, and the Coco in London. She has also graced stages in the Bahamas, Milan, Helsinki, Australia, New York, and Los Angeles. Drawing inspiration from the great Josephine Baker Pearl is also a multi-talented businesswoman who constantly challenges herself with new ventures including an upcoming line of cosmetics and a series of performance dance classes known as Pearlesque. Pearl is also a gifted instructor and her workshops sell out in a matter of hours. She encourages her followers and those attending her classes to lose the weight of self-doubt, energetic vampires, distorted views of their power, and memories that no longer serve them. She encourages everyone to believe that glamour, opulence, and opportunity belong to you and to stop downplaying your light, talent, and desires. Pearl says she's paying respect to all the black women who went through the back door so she could sashay through the front. Pearl, welcome to Collections by Michelle
2: Brown. How
1: are you today?
2: Oh, Michelle, darling, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be here and to speak with you. Thank you so much for
3: having me. <laughs> it seems like some friend of mine had uh, a picture of you, and I said, wow, she's really amazing. And, you know, burlesque takes you back to me, like, to another time period. But then as I went to look at your page, your words just really touched me. You know, as a woman of color, as a black woman, I mean, Mm -hmm. they're so thoughtful Mm -hmm. and insightful. You have this great philosophy of life. How did you get that? I mean, what what inspired you to, to think beyond just you know what you do.:
2: You know, I have to say, first and foremost, I think I've been, I think I've been sort of honored and blessed by the ancestors. I think I've mm-hmm. always had some kind of guiding light watching over me. You know, most kids when or teenagers, when they sneak out of the house, they sneak out to go to parties, to and talk to the moon. And and ask the moon for guidance because I grew up very poor, you know, burnt cupcakes and ponies at my birth parties. There were crackheads there. My birthday Mm. parties were just an excuse for the adults to have fun. So I always had to sort of rely on my imagination. And I just sort of knew that I didn't want to be defined, quite frankly, by any generational. Okay, you're telling me about, you know, your childhood and the birthday parties. Yeah, you know, there were crackheads at my birthday parties, and I just knew, looking at them, I knew I didn't want to bless, you know, all, all of the adults that I grew up around, they were great lovely people, but I just knew that I wanted something more, and I didn't want my circumstances or my childhood or where I grew up to define me. And I just knew that I deserved more than any limitations someone put on me or any limitations I would put on myself with, you know, self-sabotage. So I would literally Mm. sneak out of the house and talk to the moon and ask whoever or whatever entity was up there to just continue to guide me. And when I became 18, I said I was going to get out of the ghetto, and that is what I did. So... Mm. I hope that answered your first question. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know,
3: singing and dancing. What, what Did you have somebody in your family who encouraged you to do it, or is it just something that you watched on television and you went like, you know, I can do
2: that? Well, I always loved dancing and singing and acting. So I was like the, you know, when my cousins and I, we would all get together, everyone else would have on sweatpants and T-shirts and their and I would have on, like, business suits. I would shop for myself and go to the thrift stores and buy little power business suits at, like, nine. Uh And wear little (laughs) little heroes. And I just was always very serious and I always wanted to put on a production no matter what we were doing. And so there wasn't any real money for dance class and all of the adults in my life either were, you know, living to their potential, or they were working 18,000 jobs to provide for their Mm -hmm. Um, so I rely on encouraging myself. So I taught myself how to dance by watching PBS. Um, They used to have the ballroom dance competitions, and I was obsessed with how beautiful and glamorous that style of dance was, and, of course, the costumes and the makeup and the theatrics of it all. And that's how I taught myself how to dance, a cheerleader as well. Wow! The, the only well, un- Go ahead. in school and probably history, because usually cheerleaders are popular. But everyone, everyone, I've always been the uh, <laughs> the underdog and misunderstood, and you know. But I was, I was the person, so even though I was a cheerleader, no one, no one liked me. But everyone agreed that I was the best cheerleader. So the stage has all been my safe haven.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. How did you get the McDonald's commercial, then a role on the Cosby show?
2: So when I was five, um, from age five to nine, those years were pretty stable. So my mother and I lived with my stepfather in California. So those four years, um, that's when my stepdad would kind of take me on these auditions. And I auditioned for... The McDonald's commercial and got it, um, but unfortunately, none of the adults were available to take me. bet. I got the role, mm-hmm. but I didn't make it on set. And then I, to be one of Rudy's friends again, no one was available to take me on set mm-hmm. to actually see where my career would go. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, I can see as you talk about that, and I've looked at some of your videos, that sometimes you have that little sort of like playfulness, and you look, and I could see you being one of Rudy's friends, you know, because you have (laughs) that. But, you know, there's the the other part, which which I think that also, like, just intrigues me is, you know, like you talk about, um, like, uh, Josephine Baker, you talk about. But the, those great women who were stars back in a different era, which, which, an era that, which I love. You know, I often say, like, if I could have come back, I would have come back during the Harlem Renaissance and gone to things like the Cotton Club and doing that. And you bring that glamour. You really channel, like Josephine Baker, all of those great women. I mean, how did you get into that part of it, you know. Were you one of those ones who watched the old movies and went like, wow, I want to be that?
2: I did, yes. Um, Again, just thought of all, you know, everyone else is mm-hmm. watching cartoons. I, I'm in, I'm, you know, a child with a power suit on watching TCM. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. or I, used to, I used to really love I Love Lucy. Um, I, I just loved everything about, the show style, and then of course, once I became an adult, started researching burlesque. I, you know, realized that I love Lucy was, in fact, done in the traditional vaudeville burlesque style in regards to the comedic timing, and then also throwing in the glamour every once in a while, and the sexy dancers every once in a while, and live music. So yes, I've always sort of really loved um, old school glamour, and was really drawn to people like Diane Carroll,
3: um, mm-hmm.
2: Horn. So it was kinda I, I loved Nail Carter growing up. I used to watch Give Me a Break all the time. I really loved all those beautiful, glamorous women.
3: And, you know, and it's funny that, you know, we see them, but they never really did get, you know, to me the credit that they should have gotten that, that era of, of the elegance that they have. Oh. And you, like mm-hmm. I said, you really bring that in. And, you know, and, and you found a medium that allows you to to do all of that. How
2: did you Thank find you.
3: Burlesque?
2: I'm grateful to say that I believe Burlesque found me. I truly believe that I was to do burlesque, even though my style and my look isn't necessarily what's considered traditional burlesque or beautiful burlesque or sexy burlesque or even traditionally glamorous. Um, But when I moved to New Orleans when I was about 21, 22, I um, was just looking in the paper, hoping to find a show or play to audition for. And this lovely woman named Alicia Wrote an all-black burlesque musical, and I was like, "Oh my God, what is?" I didn't really know what burlesque was, but I knew Mm -hmm. I wanted to be involved with this play. Was all black, and she not only produced it and was the director, but she also wrote and produced all the music. Just knew someone I wanted to meet, so I went to go audition for the play. Got the role um, of one of the the burlesque performers, you know. And so that's when I started to really research burlesque. And once I started to research, that's when I found out about Josephine Baker. And I feel like I Mm -hmm. heard about her when I was younger, but not, you know, it just wasn't as as in-depth, you know. And so I found out about Josephine Baker, Tony Ehring, a black burlesque legend that's still alive today. Lottie the Body, who's Mm -hmm. also still alive topsy. Um, uh-huh. The list goes on. And so I was just really inspired by all of these women, especially like you said earlier, the things they accomplished during that. And Josephine Baker really touched my spirit the most because she was on un- traditional in every sense, you know, she grew up the same way, she grew up poor, she grew up severely bullied, I grew up the same way, she grew up being called ugly, so did I, and then one, one act of courage changed her entire life, and and then in a sense changed the lives of other performers, including my life, you know. she went through the back door so I can go through the front. Uh Meaning, you know, she blackface and then ended up so I just was inspired. And not only by what she achieved as an artist, but the fact that she decided to give back and she was a spot for the French resistance. And she played a pivotal role um, in the civil rights movement. One of the most fascinating things about Josephine Baker that a lot of people don't talk about is that she was the only woman to speak at the March on Washington. Mm. Yes. So I just looked at her and I said, if she, during that era, if she could believe in herself and decide to create her own destiny and dynasty And I just decided I would do the same, and and I decided that I wanted to dedicate my life to her memory. And so that's what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, because uh, there,
3: I know that once I went to like a film festival that showed, I'm like you, I had heard about Josephine Baker, hadn't seen anything, and they had a film festival, and I went, and, you know, and it was like, wow, like you said, there was power, there was strength, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and there to me there's there's a great deal of grace and beauty i mean mm-hmm. i find you i mean i i mean you bring grace and beauty i mean the the whole thing and i was watching especially when you went into that part they brought up bananas i'm like oh my god <laughs> i mean you know it was just like i mean i watched, i watched you perform and there was i mean there was such like i said there was grace there was style there was you have attitude. I mean, you know, like there's sometimes where you sort of give that look and it's just like pulls you in. It's like go stepping back in time into a story through dancing. It's not like you're doing a talking and everything. It's just like through what you're doing it's like you're in a story and you see Yeah. You know, how do you do you visualize like what, what you're what you're trying to sort of say throughout you know, what you're doing. I mean, even the way that you sort of, sometimes you'll turn and you give like that sort of half look and it's like part. Sometimes it's saying like, are you ready for this? But sometimes it's like, let me take you on this journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are so expressive.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. So for me, I'm creating all of my acts, um, I have a different process than most burlesque performers. Most burlesque performers, they're... The act is to showcase sensuality, femininity and um, a beautiful costume and that is their inspiration to beauty um, are inspired by some sort of triumph in my life, a moment where I had to be resilient and so that's where all of the power comes from and each move represents some sort of affirmation. For example when I raise my hands I'm not just raising them for me, I'm saying I am in love with my brown skin, finally, because I grew up in the South mm-hmm. and my skin was ugly. So when my hands are coming up, I'm saying that affirmation in my mind, and I think that's why people have a different experience with me when I'm performing, and that might be why you can feel my story and my journey a bit more, because I, I have thought about each moment. Mm -hmm. But not just about the dance element. I'm thinking of each moment being an affirmation. I'm thinking about my my performance to reach the underdog. I want my performance to reach that one person who needs someone who's, you know, another oddity to inspire them. You know, I want my performances to heal, essentially, Mm -hmm. more so than sort of excite people down below <laughs> mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. and I, there's nothing wrong with that. So I, I also want to say, I don't, I'm not downplaying the other way people create because I think that's important too. I think getting people excited sexually and sensually is very important. I'm just that my process is a little different.
3: Well, you you know what? And I think that, Okay. Your performance is very sensual. There is a, a sexuality to it, but it is not in a way, like you're not just out there to titillate people. It is like you have, mm-hmm. like you said, like when you raise your hand, like you, you are claiming it, you are owning it. And even as you, in some of the affirmations that you put out on your page to women, that's what you're t- sort of
2: talking about. You're claiming it, you're owning it mm-hmm. for you. Yes, and I'm hopeful that I can reach. Goal each time I perform is to reach at least one. One mm-hmm. rethink standards of beauty, rethink how they see themselves in the mirror, because they can look at me, oh, the woman who isn't traditionally beautiful in the in the cast. I don't have the traditional burlesque, I don't the the traditional way, and I'm hoping to reach one person for one person to be silent. One person. To be all my journey and my resilience, you know, I'm hoping to really touch at least one person's soul. And I think
3: that that's it, you know, because I mean, to me, that's what I come away with. I mean, you sort of look at it, and as you perform, and it was like, wow, I mean, you're strong. <laughs> I mean, you're very there's a great deal Thank of athleticism you. in in your performance. I mean, you know, it, so it's not just like I mean, I watch you and, you know, the things that you're able to do. And then there's joy. Because like I said, like when you got ready to do the part for with for the bananas, you started to dance and everything. I felt such joy watching you. So it was like all of these different emotions that came through. There was a part, there was that glamour where I looked at, you know, like, wow, you know, remembering having watched like the old films and wanting to be, glamorous, like Lena Horne or something like, you know, as a little girl dressing Mm -hmm. up, to try to be like real glamorous. All of these pieces Mm -hmm. come together. And, but then also not only do you perform, but then you are able to channel that and put it into words in your affirmations to other women. You know, Mm -hmm. did that sort Mm -hmm. of like, did it come like hand in hand or were you, as you were putting together a performance did these affirmations come to you and you and you said you know this is what I want to produce you know to produce on the stage but I need to say this to people and then you you
2: put it into writing yeah that's kind of how it happened so once I started doing that on my self-love journey and healing journey and decided that I was going to heal from the years of of sort of being told that I wasn't good enough and trauma and and burlesque became my sanctuary because when I performed it was this one place where I had permission to sort of be and I had power over what was happening with my body um as a as a survivor of um sexual abuse. So it was very cathartic to to be sensual, to show my body on my own terms. And I just I I feel a way through it through the live performances that I have to share this journey with other people. And as far as my affirmations, I've just always been a person who has been poetic, and mm-hmm. I would start saying these affirmations in my workshop. What I would do before we would actually dance, I'd have all the 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 men because I get men. Um, everyone speak to themselves in the mirror first before we started dancing, and everyone, you know, would tell me how much they loved that. And so that's when I decided to start sharing them online as well Uh, because my goal really is to reach as many people as possible and to help as many people as possible heal the way I have and the way I continue to do so. So that's where that came from. And, you know, and it's important also that you're
3: saying that, and you talk about it because, you know, I have talked with and worked with people who have been survivors and often Mm -hmm. that, that internalized thing to not feel that, um, that you're pretty anymore or to feel that if you step out in whatever way to be yourself, but somehow or other, something's going to snatch you back or to stop being a victim and, that's mm-hmm. one of the things mm-hmm. that I read in some of your things. It's like a, a, a pathway to shed that victim mentality, to shed the stigma, to ch- shed those mm-hmm. negative feelings that you've dealt with all your life, and to like sort of claim, reclaim your beauty. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, you said you might not be by you know somebody's standard of, of what they want to say beauty is, but you have claimed your beauty, your inner beauty, you look at, like you said, your people look in the mirror and you look at, you can tell that you've done that and you see yeah. this beautiful woman and you, and you express that.
2: Absolutely. Um, and I, not only am I proud that I help people sort of take their power back, but also it's it's definitely about you know yes, saying that I am not going to be a victim per se, but also i I love allowing people and creating a space for people to do something that they haven't probably ever had permission to do, which is to acknowledge what happened and to release it, to cry about it, to scream, to dance mm-hmm. it out, and, and then make the choice that it isn't going to define you, but also acknowledge what happened and Whatever you're feeling, acknowledge those feelings. So I, I think both are, are very, very important. Yeah, and I, and again, like I said, I feel, I feel really honored. because I do feel, as, I feel like I've been chosen to do healing work and to be a source of light to the world. Now, that doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. I definitely mm-hmm. do. That doesn't mean that I don't have to constantly heal and, and check myself and have my own slice of humble pie from now. You know, every now and again, um, but I do feel that I'm chosen, and I and I really do my best to to respect it. And I'm just honored that burlesque is the platform, burlesque is the vessel. You know, it's, you know, a it's gift that I have. Mm-hmm.
3: Then you know, and you talked about something that was really important. I was, um, I know um, the people here with the Sasha Center, and they talked about how sometimes it is it's okay to be able to to shout. You know, and sometimes you have, yeah. to, you have to shout, scream, let it out, so that then you can move on. And, yeah. you know. Yes,
2: yeah. so you can release it.
3: And to find a way to to claim it and, it, and you know, and to, to reclaim your life and to be yourself. I think that that is, you know, like the more that, you know, because I've talked to them with different ones, different people who work with different organizations, individuals have been through it. I mean, there's this process that they go through, <laughs> And your, and to find them a way, I talked to a friend of mine recently who said like for the first time in years, she had picked up a paintbrush and, and Mm. to be able to paint, but she had to go through that period of time of feeling, you know, she said, she, she screamed it out. She went through all this. She said, she said today I picked up a paintbrush and I'm ready to start to paint. You know, and yeah, and and it is, you know, and, and in part, having read some of the things that you went and then to watch you, I see the same thing where burlesque is your paintbrush.
2: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, well, I'm I'm really happy and proud about it. That's all I was gonna say. <laughs>
3: well that oh that's good. Okay, well we're gonna take our first break. And if you're just joining me, I am talking with Pearl Noir, the Queen Mother of Burlesque. And we will be right back here on Collections by Michelle Brown.
0: This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com.
3: back here on collections by michelle brown i'm talking with pearl Noir. she's the queen mother of burlesque now you have been all over the world who thought did you ever think that burlesque would take you to i mean you've been to australia you've been in tokyo you've been in madrid i mean did you ever think that when you met them and, and discovered burlesque down there in new orleans that it was going to take you all over the
2: world no, and forgive me. I, I am, I am. No, not forgive me. I am proud that I'm feeling very. I still get emotional about it because no, I, I'm, I'm a, a a woman who grew up very poor. I didn't have many opportunities. I did not go to college. Um, you know, I instead of going to college, I took a backpack full of clothes, $200, and got on a Greyhound and went to Vegas to try to pursue my career. So, no, I had no idea when I auditioned for this show in New Orleans in, like, 2001, 2002, 2003, something like that, that I would perform at the Sydney Opera House one day. I had no idea Mm -hmm. that my image would be on a billboard in New Zealand. My brown face. Mm-hmm. In a cast full of white people, and they chose my brown face i mean and i I think only some people will really understand why i 'm making a point to say that it It just isn 't really heard of you know i i just mm-hmm. so i when I think about it I think you can hear in my voice i 'm like tearing up and kind of shaking because I still um I still feel so grateful and honored and amazed at the power of your mind, the power of faith, the power of connecting mm-hmm. and being spiritual and connecting mm-hmm. with the stars and your ancestors and whatever entity you believe in. There's true power in that. And, and, and so, no, I, I did not see this coming, honey.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That little girl who went out and talked to the moon and the stars, I mean, you know, and like you said, uh, different people call it different things, but there's a, a connecting to the ancestors, to the universe, and then stepping out on that. You yeah. know, I mean, that in and of itself, I mean, that, that's, that's so important. Often you see people, at, despite it all. I mean, like yeah. I said, not having the best childhood despite it all, but, but to hear that you were more than good enough and you stepped out on that to to be that, that place, you know, yeah. I mean, that is yeah. – do you find, okay, do you find that often when you go – I mean, you have a very powerful story um, and then doing it, but do you often have to like sort of like peel back the layers when someone says – oh, well, she's the queen mother of burlesque, and people go like, oh, well, we don't know if we want you to come in and and tell this story, but do you ever have to, like, peel it back and explain to them from a historical perspective of what burlesque is um, about the women whose shoulders you stand on, as you say, so you can fashe to the front? Do you ever have to, like, do an education for people, particularly black people, as to, you know... This is our history.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I, I caught a lot of um, slack and backlash from the POC burlesque community when I was performing with Dita Von Teese. Um, when I was performing the Banana Act, um, you know, I was I was the topic of discussion. I was made fun of. Very similar to what Josephine went through because mm-hmm. they didn't understand that for me, I wasn't just dancing in a banana dance for myself. At the time, I was the only black headliner, international headliner. I was the only black performer in the Dita Von Teese show. Now she's had some other women of color since, but at the time I was the only one in Dita Von Teese. Kind of, you know, she's the rock star of burlesque. You know, this woman, you know, has the luxury of making six figures for performances. So I said to myself, this is the mainstream show of burlesque. You can't get any more mainstream. I must be here for the two black women who are in the audience thinking that there's only one representation of burlesque and glamour. I have to be in this show and represent Josephine Baker because she is the most iconic black burlesque performer of all time as well. And the banana skirt, I made the choice to to do the banana skirt because I wanted to pay respect. I wanted to give my tithes, if you will. You know, they made a lot of sacrifices for us. And so, yes, I know the context and the history of the banana skirt, but I also know that Josephine decided to use it as her weapon and, and redefine what it meant to play the savage and to be uninhibited and she utilized that image and that banana skirt for a short time, and then she became all these other different types of people. I mean, she kept reinventing herself. But for me, it was just very important to put the banana skirt on. And quite frankly, I felt like it was what Josephine wanted. I truly believed that I was chosen by her. And mm-hmm. it was meant for me to do a tribute to her and to put the banana skirt on. And what a lot of people don't know is that I originally wanted to do a um, top hat and tails tribute to her because that's a nice, iconic look that she, she wore before Marlena Dietrich made it popular. Um, but that, that costume was destroyed in Hurricane Katrina. So the banana huh. skirt was the second option. And, of course, that was, like, quick. So I also had, like, a lot of people don't know that backstory as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, I mean, I yeah, I've been accused of being a coon, a sellout, and all of these things. Back in the day, with the POC community, some of them seem to understand now why I did the things that I did, because I just felt like I had another opportunity to do the same. Like, let me get in this mainstream show, let me stay here and represent us. And now, there's so many performers of color in burlesque who are headliners. I'm not. I don't dare claim that I'm fully responsible, but I'm not going to let anyone try to tell me that my contribution to the DJ Von T show back in the day has nothing to do with the acceptance of uh, people of color in burlesque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was, And it, you know,
3: it is, it's like, I mean, and it was important, first of all, because in doing that, you're saying, like, you know, you get, you pay homage to those who came before you. I mean, and like I said, you're not saying that, but somebody, you were there. You were there with that at a time, being yourself, bringing history to it. And I think that often, you know, we don't know our history. And to me, also looking at you when you do the part, I mean, because I know other people who would go like, well, who is this Josephine Baker? Who Mm -hmm. was Dorothy Dandridge? Why Mm -hmm. is she, and the fact that you say that, you know, they paved the way. We have forgotten many people who paved the way. And how, uh, and often, back in those days, although part of it is glamorous, it was not easy for a black woman to make it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so Mm -hmm. I think that that's why it's so important. You know, and I noticed how you had the one where you said you had one um, outfit that you wear that you said was inspired by Dorothy Dandridge. Are you yeah. lo- do you look at you know are you looking back at like old film, old pictures to sort of try to to maintain that that look of of that that look of that other era look of glamour yeah. that sometimes is lost. I mean, and I think that you are. Glamorous. I mean, you see a lot of people who, who you know, they might—they're not doing burlesque, and but they might have on less than that you do, and they are not glamorous, right? But
2: you are bringing glamour to it. Thank you. I yeah, I look to them because, like I said, I they make sacrifices. You know, I I would not be where I am. Without their sacrifices and but that banana skirt was one of the sacrifices, so I just wanted to pay it forward. I made some mm-hmm. choices some hard choices I made some mm-hmm. hard choices um, just to give back because these women and men that I've never met had paved the way for me and so I yeah I often look at old films and I try to find new photos if I can um, and I and I, I just try to recreate their iconic images so that, you know, you know, if I'm interviewed like right now, the next thing, so I've retired from doing the banana skirt because it's time, Uh Um, Uh you know, it's time for me now. So now my next iconic image that I am obsessed with getting out there in the world is Nefertiti because everyone's talking about Cleopatra. And so now when I perform for the most part, I'm doing, I'm only doing queen Nefertiti also because I want I want there to be a conversation about an iconic black woman so that it's not just the banana skirt. You Mm -hmm. know, we're at a point now where we have Google, (laughs) we have more, which is performers of color and burlesque. So it's like, okay, now you all know about Josephine Baker. Now I want you to allow your minds to remember that, Black women were queens and still are, mm-hmm. you know, so this is an image for us too. It's not just for white women to play Cleopatra, you know, people of color, we have our own royal lineage, and, and I want people to remember that. So that's my new obsession um, and new calling, I believe. Mm-hmm. Because she's no, also queen. I mean, she- Yeah, she was a queen, yeah. Yes, she's the forgotten one. Everyone talks about Cleopatra. No one ever talks about Nefertiti. So she's my new new calling. I want to keep her memory alive now. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Now, you have started to, I mean, you mentor people. You have classes. What made you go, I mean, when did you start to do that? And what made you decide to, and everyone who comes to a class who are there, they're not necessarily wanting to do burlesque, but they see burlesque, like you also talk about, you know, the healing power mm-hmm. of it. How did that come about to go from just being a performer to where you're teaching and helping people heal through burlesque?
2: So I, my fans started that. Um, everyone just was asking me for years to teach People just wanted to learn from me, um, and I think it is again because my approach is so different. Even you know the way I perform is so different from most burlesque performers. So people wanted to learn, and so I finally decided to do a workshop. And I thought I was doing—I thought it was going to be a regular dance, you know, workshop inspired by burlesque. And people were crying during the workshop, mm. and, and it was my students who let me know that I was a healer. And that huh. my style of teaching was very cathartic and transformative for them, so to be honest it was a thing again where I just was chosen I did, had nothing to do with it it was it was I was just chosen for this
3: wow, well, I mean isn't that something that when you when you saw that you know like you said, you were chosen for it, particularly, I imagine when you saw how cathartic it was for people, when you saw people crying and going through that. I bet you uh, that's
2: when you really knew, you know, like, yes. I'm supposed to be up here doing this. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And I cried with those women that day. I just, and uh-huh. I, 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 again, I was like, I'm the girl that no one believed in. And now I have a room full of people telling me that their this hour and a half, this two hours have changed the course of their lives forever absolutely beautiful feeling. I can't describe it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it also comes with great responsibility that I don't take lightly. So I, you know, I, I have to be more careful with everything I say and do and not, not like most people and not like most burlesquers. There's politics in every, you know, in every um, entertainment field or field in general, and you always need to be politically correct. But when you've been chosen to do healing work, Every little thing you say has the power to uplift or destroy people. So I have to be very mindful of what I say and how I say it and what I do. Do you find that,
3: I mean, having lived the life that you live, and it sounds like although, you know, you do something that's very extroverted, there's a very introspective part of you, like yeah. you you recognize. Do you find that that helps you in doing your workshops and really to reaching out to people and to to making it the kind of experience that your spirit leads you to to give.
2: I believe so. Actually, I, I I am introverted in a way. I'm very much. A, I'm not sure if you follow astrology, but I'm very much a Cancerian woman. Wants to be in my shell, um, but I think because I know that it is important to sort of take that time alone to sort of regroup and re-nourish my own soul. Um, so I'm very mindful of that. You know, I, I don't offer workshops without having time to to just regroup because I want to make sure that when I'm giving to people that I'm coming to them with the right frame of mind and spirit. And so so I do I do my best to schedule everything weeks or months apart so that I can do mm-hmm. it properly to everyone. Okay.
3: Hi, you'll see, okay, you're introverted. And, you know, and, and yeah. some of my, I mean, I have some really close family members who were cancers, and um, that part of, of putting yourself out there on the stage, but then there's also like, um, I have a friend who will say like, you know, like sometimes she has a moment and when she's in that, public arena and in fact she teaches you know just Mm -hmm. she's teaching like high school people like she said there's a way that a presence that she has and then after sometimes after she's done it like she'll go back and she just has to have time to reflect upon it and see what she's doing and doing it do you often find yourself being kind of
2: very self-critical yes yes um again it's because you know regular people or some other burlesque performers, they can have an opinion or tell someone something that could maybe upset them. And when they do it, people will forget about it within seconds. But because people have kind of – because I do the healing work, people have decided that I'm not a human being or hmm. that my, my – my life's work is about pleasing them and them alone, and they forget that there are a lot of other people depending on me. So, because of that, I do find myself being very critical. If you know, if I feel like I've hurt someone, or if maybe I feel like I didn't perform well, or you know, or maybe I posted something and I found out that someone took it the wrong way, it, it takes me a, a while to to get over it because I really hate the idea of, of hurting someone because I know I'm supposed to be a bearer of light.
3: Uh-huh.
2: So, and I do find myself, I spend a lot, I spend a lot of time alone because I do reflect a lot.
0: Uh-huh.
2: I think more uh-huh. than, most people. <laughs> uh-huh. which is, which is a positive thing, but also sometimes I do have to reel myself in and say, no, you know, you, you are a human being, you're allowed to learn, and that's what mistakes are. You're allowed to learn, you're allowed to evolve and grow. So I can be very critical, but I also, because I've been doing the work, I can also recognize when I'm doing that, and so I'll switch, you know, I'll switch. It's like, you know, no, let's, we're not going to obsess about any negativity. We're going to obsess about the love and the joy and the people you have helped or the performances that were great, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you have an inner circle where
3: sometimes when you need to step back from being Pearl and you need to be the one who is, who someone says, you know what, you do a lot, you're great, you know, and who give back the love to you?
2: Yes, I'm very happy to say yes. Um, I have a very, very small inner circle, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I have an inner circle, and these, yeah, these are people who, they don't want anything from me but to maybe have some nachos and watch a movie, you know, they're not, <laughs> you know, they're not expecting me to, to heal them, they're not expecting me to, they don't feel entitled to my energy or my light, mm-hmm. and they feel honored by it, and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I am very happy to say that I do. Because, I I, you know, I've learned what type of people belong in your life. So that hasn't always been the case. So I'm I'm evolving and learning. <laughs>
3: well, you know, that, that's how we can do. But, you know, I had to be sure that you had a care team.
2: You had a I team do. behind you. <laughs> I, yeah. I thank you for asking that because most people don't ask that. I think you're the first person to ever ask that. So thank you.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, sometimes, like like I said, there's some things, like I, I watched one of your videos, and I was watching you, and like I said, there's some time I could see that happy little pearl who was dancing and, and, mm-hmm. and seizing, enjoying life, and I mean, I saw all these different versions of you coming through, and it, it's nice to see, and it's nice to know that you have a a core group who can allow you sometimes to just be you. you know? Yeah. Because yeah. So, sometimes having having done things where, where people always expect you to be like here, you know, up there doing all these great things. And, and sometimes you have a down moment. And yeah. it's not being down like being sad, but just like, you know, you need to just like, like you said,
2: eat nachos and watch something on TV. You know? Yes. I like my nachos mm-hmm. and champagne. Oh, girl.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. You are my kind of woman. You know, I love, I love that. I love I love that. Nachos and champagne. That's my so, snack. <laughs> now I know that um you're an entrepreneur. You have an upcoming line of cosmetics. Um I know you've been doing your classes. I know mm-hmm. you're taking a break from those. What and and you talked about like when you talked about Josephine Baker, you talked about some of these other Black women who were also entrepreneurs. So what
2: else do you do? Well, during the day, not every day, but during the day, I work at um, I work at a college. I won't say the college name just because for mm-hmm. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Um, but I work yeah. the day at a college and I do um, I help with the student activities. Um, to help mm-hmm. with student engagement, and I run the social media page, and I also mm-hmm. do dance workshops for self confidence um, mm-hmm. once a month at said college.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And when I'm not doing that, I am doing um, I'm creating email courses which um, combine burlesque and self love rituals. I also have a weekly group mentorship online, um, mm-hmm. and I am also preparing to present the first POC-exclusive burlesque pageant um, in March 2020. So that's what I'm working on right now, the noir pageant. Okay, Okay, well, let's take a quick
3: break, and when we come back, I want to talk about that that pageant. Okay? Okay, so we'll be right back. Back here on collections by Michelle Brown with Pearl Noir, Pearl this pageant. I mean, you know, I saw a, you know, you know, because you got me hooked now. You know, I'm I'm going to your <laughs> Facebook page. What's Pearl got to say today? Going like, yes, sister, you <laughs> right, you right. You know, <laughs> or, um, I'm I'm getting my affirmations down. Thank you. And so then, so then I see you are doing this pageant. It's going mm-hmm. to be in 2020, yes. and um, I went, of course, you know, I had to go there, and then, and you talk about the years, how people of color have been erased and overlooked in the burlesque history books. Yes, absolutely. And you're creating a, di- you're creating your dynasty. I mean, how important is that? Like you said, you know, you know, that there's you, and you were the first one, and the other people have come along, but we've been, I mean, in so many areas, we've been erased. But here in Burlesque, mm-hmm. we've been erased. And you talk about pageant, pageants have been around for decades. What yes, exactly have. are the pageants about? And how do you intend to make this specific for performers of color?
2: Well, there's so many pageants. There's I feel like at least 50 to 100 pageants in burlesque right now. There's so many, because most festivals have a pageant, a night where they have a pageant and they crown a new king or queen. Um, And there are performers of color who have won, but it's a very, very, very small percentage. And when you try to research now, now in 2019, it's a lot easier to find sort of images. There's a few videos of black or Asian or Latina or mixed or what have you, um, burlesque performers. But it's, I mean, it's very rare to find any, any kind of documentation on, on these great performers. You know, I can find images of... You know, like a Ginny Lee or Dixie Evans or Gypsy Rose Lee. But there isn't anything of, about Tony Elling, who's still alive, and thankfully she's still alive and she can tell us about her career, but they didn't film the performers of color huh. back in the day. You know, there were a few, there's like one movie that I found, um, Burlesque in Harlem. It used to be on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still on Netflix, but you can kind of find it maybe on YouTube. And uh-huh. it's, it's just, I mean, but that's the one. That's one, one movie. So I just want to make sure that history doesn't repeat itself. And there are a lot of all-black institutions now um, in regards to burlesque that are also doing their part to preserve the history. I want to make sure that that's clear, that I'm not the only person or the first person to do a POC exclusive event. But this sort of is the first pageant. Um, and I, because I want to help, I want to help open the door and create more headliners who are POC, more entrepreneurs, more educators, because that's what happens when you win at certain Festivals and and when you win these queen and king titles, all of a sudden everyone wants to hire you. Then you can charge more. But if you but if you're a POC person and you've never won a title, then you sort of never get you never your career sort of plateaus at a certain point. And and I want to make sure that you know that that doesn't happen and that we, and then that there's just more places where where it's documented that there are. POC performers who are considered queens and kings in this field, who are considered living legends in this field. You know, and I think the other
3: thing that that I like about it too, and that I like about you, you are a beautiful brown skin. And often, you know, it's like they want to, I mean, I mean, colorism is real. I mean, you, you read and you and it's you hear real. about people in the Dominican Republic in yeah. Africa who are, are lightning, their skin, but, you know, we come in all different shades, and all these shades are so beautiful, and to have them celebrated and have a place for themselves. I think mm-hmm. that that's one of the things, too, that I think that is important about you is because you, you know, you're not trying to, to be something that you're not, you know, you're not trying to be like the white man's version of what is, what they want to say is, is black and beautiful, you know, which is often is just like a canned version of a white woman. You are, you are an authentic, you know, you're a sister, you know, I see you (laughs) and you're a strong black woman, you know, you've got that beautiful cocoa skin. I mean, you, um, and so is that one of the other things, too, that, that that in the pageant that you want to highlight and focus on?
2: Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, I decided to use, um, so there's a lovely woman named Tutu Toussaint who is in um, my dance company, the House of Noir, and she also has her own line of tinctures. Um, Tucson tinctures, and she's beautiful and tall and statuesque and brown. And so, I it was important to me that the face of the noir pageant was a beautiful dark-skinned woman.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like it's important that that's the first image that people see. Now, of mm-hmm. course, I want to feature every color, but on a personal level, it was very important to me that the first image was of a beautiful brown burlesque performer uh-huh. just to set the tone here
3: uh-huh. you know because unfortunately you know even in today many of the things that that cause black women to not have confidence comes from those very things and to sort of see that to be able to look in the mirror no matter mm-hmm. what shade you are and see your beauty yeah. and also not only is that your beauty but You know, but like you said, you talk about the sexuality and the sensuality, but also, okay, there's nothing wrong. I mean, you're beautiful. And that, yes, you should be desired and and wanted for just for who you are. And I think that, you know, when you talk about, you you said you've made it your mission to showcase the beauty and opulence of brown skin. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is just like so important. That resonates with me because I, I still see people who are telling their little girls you're not pretty enough or you need to do this and we we have to break that you know we have to break that stigma we have to break that that way of thinking yes absolutely so mm -hmm. So what are the what is the criteria to be in the pageant the pageant is in 2020 so people have a year so are you going to have like very experienced or um, um, new people in in burlesque. Are you going to have different categories for everybody?
2: Well, it's the first year, so I want to have a showcase. My my goal is to have a gala where we just have an opportunity to celebrate ourselves. And to feature uh-huh. different performers on that night, I'd like to feature different solo acts and maybe some large groups and some duets and some circus performers and some fierce oh. drag Yeah, I just want it uh-huh. to be a night of celebration and just celebrating who we are and our color and, and our creativity, um, especially since a lot of times people take um, ethnic culture and, and exploit it or, you know, people want ethnic food or they want ethnic beauty, but they don't want it on ethnic people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want a night to just celebrate that. And, and then for the pageant, that will probably be a more intimate night. But I think for me, what I'm looking for is overall entertainment value. I'm looking for people who aren't afraid to connect in, a, in an authentic way with the audience um, I'm looking for glamour for sure because this is all POC but glamour to me doesn't, you know, there's so many different ways to be glamorous. I don't think you necessarily need to have on a $10,000 fully dripped in Swarovski crystal costume. I, I think, uh-huh. you know, people can use their imagination um, But and I'm looking for musicality. I, I want to see that you actually took time to tell a story to work on your choreography um, or if you, or if you want to come with the approach of, well, I just want to celebrate feminine energy or masculine Mm -hmm. energy. I'm also okay with seeing that kind of act where it is simply about celebrating energy and sexuality. So I, I, my taste varies, but I think at the core, I'm just looking for authentic, powerful acts. Now, you know,
3: from that, I think that it's also going to open people's eyes and ears to history. But, you know, you have a lot of history, I mean, that you you collected by doing all of this. And over the years and people who you've learned about, is there any place or or would you like to see a place to where there would be a Hall of Fame, uh, a permanent exhibit talking about performers of color and burlesque. You know, I know that there's, uh, you know, there there are different, like in Chicago, there's a DuSable Museum, and in Michigan, we have a Charles Wright Museum, but do you have, long term, do you see
2: that it would be great to have a home to where people could always go and see this history? That is my long-term goal, and as a matter of fact, the website is com. Um, because mm-hmm. it is my goal to to preserve this history and to one day have an actual museum, if you would. Mm-hmm. I, I'm happy with an event to start with an event, but I w- I would love to have a physical place where performers of color were celebrated in in the burlesque genre. Mm-hmm. So pretty soon we'll be adding historian.
3: <laughs> to your to, to historian and curator, to your your many many titles,
2: so fingers crossed. We'll see what happens.
3: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you have everything else you've put out there into the universe, and so it that's will true. happen. That's <laughs> it, true. It, it, I it am will. a manifestor. That is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So um, I know that in February you're gonna be in Detroit. Got my ticket. Got my ticket. <laughs> well, yes. well, well, yes. uh, I mean, you know, what else is on your schedule? Um, I know besides performing, you're doing classes, I uh you're doing you're doing classes, you're doing all that. Is twenty nineteen a very full schedule for you?
2: Yes. Yeah, so for twenty nineteen I'm going to take a bit of a step back from performing live because I am training some new hopefuls for my dance company. Um, yeah. So yes, I start training with the hopefuls on uh, next Monday as a matter of fact. So what I will be doing is working with the gyms from the house of Noir. And what I like to do is present um, our seven deadly sins review in New York, maybe in the summertime, I want to make sure I give everybody time to learn the choreography. Um, but what mm-hmm. I 'll be focusing on is working with them and also producing or presenting different um, dance camps with my dance company so i 'll be focusing a lot on the pageant and my dance company this year, opposed to performing as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. I think we'll see what happens but that's mm-hmm. that, that's what that 's my truth at this moment
3: mhm. Well, you know, and I'm glad you brought it, you know, you do dance. I mean, I mean, you make me want to get up and I mean, I love that era of dancing. I mean, and, I mean, there's that athletic. I mean, you do this one thing I saw where it's sort of like you do like, hmm, you do like this other tumble. I can't remember what, the, what they call it. Right? But each time you stop, you turn and you give this cute little look out to the audience. I mean... <laughs> You, you you blend it. You dance, and then you're you know you have this athleticism. Thank you. How 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 many hours do you have to to work at that? You know to to be able to do that. Now you have a dance company, so which also means you have to stay in shape. But do you do you put in x many amount of times, like just to dance to physical fitness? I mean, how do you plan? How do you How do you stay
2: in that shape to be able to have that level of athleticism? You know, I do. I enjoy practicing. Um, And so when I, especially if I have an event coming up or if the house, if we are, if we have something come up, you know, two years ago, we were preparing to do this performance at the Burlesque Hall of Fame in Vegas. I mean, and I believe we clocked in between three to 500 hours in the studio in one year. So wow. yeah, we 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 rehearse a lot, but we it's, you know, it's fun. It doesn't really seem like work um because you know, also dancing for me is is cathartic and it's my therapy. So, it doesn't necessarily feel like I'm working out. Mhm. Yeah, so it's it's mm-hmm. fun.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, what's your Okay,
3: music. Okay, dancing. Do you keep up with things that are like kind of current? I know you don't do them in yours, like, but do you? Do you try to like? Do you like to go out and dance, or do you? It's not like do. you know, dancing yeah. is part of work. You
2: do. Uh-huh. I do. I like to go out dancing with my with my inner circle whenever we whenever we're all off work at the same time. That's the tricky part because we're all performers. Uh-huh. Um, and my brother is you know young. He's like twenty two, twenty three. So I I do try to keep up. <laughs> Uh-huh. I try to stay up to date with the pop culture so that I can talk to him. <laughs>
3: hmm 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 Wow. Yeah. I mean, does he does he ever go out dancing with you and then he's got like, you know, okay, okay, sis, you know, that's a little old, <laughs> you know, we need to learn that. No, my
2: I, We're like best friends. We oh uh-huh. my gosh, I have the most fun with, with that one. Yeah, no, whenever uh he lives in a different state, so but whenever we're together we we're two peas in the pot.
3: Mhm Now, has, has he attended any of your classes?
2: Um, he's been to a few of my rehearsals and a few of my shows, and he he loves it he loves bringing his friends he's he's very proud of me, which I think is very sweet
3: mhm, well, he should be you know he should yeah. be I mean, but the store- you know because you've had a you know people can go one way or the other, and you've stepped out like you you've have you have an interface where where you've sort of moved forward and you've done these many things. And I mean, I think that you're really a great role model just from, you know, I read your things and I look, like I said, I'm hooked, you know, because uh, it's oh, like, because sometimes we all need someone to remind us of to celebrate our inner light. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that, I think that's really, really, um, really great. Uh, the page is, the yes. Noir Hall of Fame, and there, you know, if someone they can. I'm looking at it now. They can get the application criteria just to, to sponsor the pageant. Yes, yes. If they, if, if they subscribe, you'll be telling them what's going on. Yes. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And then you've got tips from the Pearl Noir. High and glamour is a state of mind, darlings, not crystals and debt. I love that. <laughs> uh, uh, I love that, you know, because there's been people who you can see and they come in and they just look fabulous and you don't have to, it's, it's how you, you you carry yourself, how you bring it in. And you see somebody else who can be like dripping in and crystals and all of that. And they've just sort of lost it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. For Pearl
2: when will I get to see the
3: Nefertiti? <laughs> you
2: know, stay tuned. I'm not sure yet because you know, mm-hmm. I, I have to. For me, it has to be the right type of show mm-hmm.
3: because mm-hmm. It's, it's a
2: very serious act. So you know, those kind of acts don't belong in every show. But no, I'm mm-hmm. sure. I'm sure. I'm sure the Nefertiti act will be in the stage near you sometime soon. <laughs> well, you know,
3: hey, yeah plane, trains,
2: automobile. you
3: know. I, yes. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, it, it, it's worth that. It's worth that to hear. Well, Pearl, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Um, for some of the things that you said, I mean, like I said, I know women who are going through some things, and some of them I have, like, copied some of your stuff and said, read this. I mean, this is really oh, powerful. Wow. Think about it. And the message that, you know, that you send out your performances is, is is it is something to see i mean i um i believe you were born to perform i mean because you you have such joy the joy that you have in it even when you're you're being you know your your sultry moments you can tell that there's a joy an inner joy coming from you doing something that you truly love and, you. and that you were meant to do so again i want to thank you i look forward to seeing you in detroit um, you, I, I get to New wait. York. Um,
2: I hope to see you there too, but thank you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful, beautiful night. Okay. All right.
3: Bye-bye. Be safe.
2: You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.
1: <laughs> I want to thank today's guest, Pearl Norar, the Queen Mother of Burlesque. You can learn more about the Noir online group mentoring program at her website, www.blackburlesquequeen.com. The Noir pageant will take place March 12th through 15th in 2020 in New York City. Additional information, including criteria and sponsorship, is available at the Noir Hall of Fame website. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown, Blog Radio, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual. Living Between the Lines, Standing Boldly in the Crosshairs of Their Intersectionality, and Creating Change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.
2: 18 plus.